Good morning. I love this part of the service. I hope you do too. I love the entire service and all aspects of this is worship. This morning we're going to continue our series on Nehemiah the sword and the trowel. And while I left my sword home today, I can't promise you that I won't be taking out the sword again. I had fun with that last week. Maybe too much fun, to tell you the truth. The book of Nehemiah is so much more than rebuilding of a wall. It's about a city. It's about the people of God in and around that city. About a man who has a burden and he's broken over this. It turns to conviction and passion and then leads to the beginning and taking on of a dangerous, very dangerous project where his life is in jeopardy as well as those around that are in jeopardy, the ones that are helping him out. And even the ones that are not helping him out, their lives are in jeopardy too. Their lives are in the balance too, and that's how it goes. And so we have so much to learn from this book of Nehemiah, and we're going to start this journey together, uh, one chapter at a time to see where this takes us. Uh, We're going to start in the first chapter of Nehemiah. Last week was just an overview and a a review, I, I guess, or an overview, an introduction to this uh, this topic and this series, it all starts with a new perspective and a new burden. So I've entitled this message this morning, Gaining a New Perspective. Gaining a New Perspective. And as while we're looking at the life of Nehemiah, the way he acted and behaved and responded to this new perspective, we have a lot to learn about uh, his walk with God. Amen. How he prayed, how he communicated with God. All right, it, um, it all starts with prayer, it starts with this new perspective, it starts with this new burden, and it starts with following God's commandments and de- decrees and laws. And this uh, helped him in the future when he saw this stuff. It caused people to stumble and people to fall when they did not follow the laws, when they did not follow these commandments and these decrees. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? I have a a short text for us to read uh, this morning together. It's going to be Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the providence are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. And its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Jesus, help us to understand these words. Help us to understand this burden, this newfound perspective that he had, Lord God, that that made him go out. And do this great work for you, Lord God. Help us to understand this a little better, what the process is and how this works, God. For your glory, for your honor, we we praise your name, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for these words. We thank you for these scriptures, these holy scriptures. Illuminate our heart, illuminate our mind so that we can see and understand and the words can be clear to us so that we know how to live rightly. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. You may be seated. This morning we're going to look at four main points. Blindness, burden, brokenness, and boldness. Blindness, burdens, brokenness, and boldness. Each one of these steps 
in a way, are found in your life uh, as a believer, as we travel through life, what stage, what stage and where you find yourself that really depends on your own personality and where you find yourself, that stage of life is really personal. It's where you are. Before we go any further, I'd like to just go over a little background of, of this book of Nehemiah, just a brief one. In around 586 B.C., the Babylonians conquered uh, and destroyed Zion, the city of Jerusalem, and they took the Jews captive. The city walls and the gates and, and the area was all burnt down and destroyed, and now these walls laid in shambles and ruins for almost 141 years. And not only did the, the war ruined it, but time ruined it, nature ruined it, just the neglect over time, you know, the weather and just doing nothing to fix it. You know, the situation got worse. You know, we can leave something there in, in, in nature and just leave it alone. And over time, over time, without, without putting your hands to fix it, putting your hands to help it out, it can, it can deteriorate, right, and get worse. And this is the way we see these walls taking place. The people had fear for their life. They were hopeless. They were helpless uh, and no vision for the future. And so some people wonder why this happened and how can this happen. And one reason is blindness. Blindness. When the people of God are disobedient, they have a form of blindness. And so today's first point that I want to talk about is disobedience can lead to spiritual blindness. Disobedience can lead to spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness, they did not obey God. And disobedience stops and hinders progress. So if we look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 7, we find Nehemiah is praying and he says to the Lord, We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws that you gave your servant Moses, verse 8, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Spiritual blindness can come in many forms. It can simply be denying Jesus Christ. It could be closing your eyes to the truth and the words of God. It can be doing wicked things to people by the way you treat other people, by your actions and attitudes. It can simply be not obeying the commands and the laws of God. In a little while, we'll speak about that a little bit more, being holy. Uh, because God is holy, we ought to be holy. God wants us to remember his instructions and follow his ways. Spiritual blindness will stop the progress of faith. Will stop the progress of faith. God wants to advance the kingdom of God. Uh, he doesn't want us to bunker down and, and fight his ways. And when we fight in a church and we, and we bunker down against leadership, we're actually fighting God. Instead of advancing the kingdom of God, we become stagnant and broken and scattered. And we see this happening in this first chapter of Nehemiah. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. The people of God were in exile. They were removed from the land that they loved. They were enslaved. They were brought to a different area. Spiritual blindness 
will stop the progress of faith. Spiritual blindness will also hinder vision. 141 years later, and no one has stepped up. 141 years later, get that, no one stepped up. No one cared to help the people. No one cared to rebuild the wall. The Bible says that the people perish for lack of wisdom. Spiritual blindness hinders vision. How many times over the last several years have you seen things that needed to be repaired and seen things that needed to be fixed and had no vision for it, had no method to correct it, no pastor, no person fully committed to fixing it and taking care of it? And maybe it simply was because of lack of finances. Maybe it was simply because of lack of faith. But most oftenly, it's because of lack of leadership and lack of vision and lack of a burden for a better tomorrow and a better future. Nehemiah the leader steps in. Nehemiah the leader has a new burden. Nehemiah the leader is going to take action. While disobedience can lead to spiritual blindness, obedience can lead to gaining a new perspective, to gaining a new burden. So obedience can lead to gaining a new burden, giving a new perspective. A burden comes from God. I believe this comes from God. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakali, in the month of Kislev, in the 20, 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the providence, are in great trouble and disgrace. They're in trouble and they're in disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. I sat down and I wept. And we'll see in a little while that Nehemiah's burden leads to brokenness before God which eventually is going to lead to action. You see, burdens often precede precede vision and cement conviction. Burdens precede vision and cement conviction. And when you have a burden, and that burden is on your shoulder, over time it gets heavy. It gets heavy. But I believe it's through action, through faith in God, that it's removed or it's lessened. It's through action. And this burden that he had caused him to weep. And this burden caused him to weep and mourn and fast. He heard that the people of God were in trouble, that the city gates were burnt and in ruins, and the people were in danger from attacks from both men and beasts. Without the walls, they're open for attacks. They're open to be ridiculed, again, from both uh, beast and man. I guess the, the, the beasts aren't ridiculing the people, but you get the point. They're open to these attacks. At any time, they're in grave danger. Now, we also must remember that Nehemiah had a great job. Got to understand this. He had a great career going for himself. He was the cupbearer to the king, the wine taster for the king. He prepared all the food for the king or oversight of it. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But 
He had a career. And he didn't need to take on this project thousands of miles away. And you could argue that this was not his problem. That he didn't need to get involved in this. This was not his concern. He was in a good place. The people left these walls for under 140 years. It's not my problem. I don't care. He could have had a whole bunch of attitudes with it. Why should I worry what's happening in that town? Why should I worry what's happening in that church? Why should I worry what's happening with those people over there? It's in another city. It's another area. And they've neglected it for so long. Who cares? It's not my problem. But Nehemiah heard from God. Nehemiah receives a new burden. It then became his problem. Because God laid it on his heart. He got a new perspective. He got a new burden. And he obeyed. He obeyed. And that's so important. I believe this was a God thing. Not a Nehemiah thing. It was a God thing. Not a man thing. Somewhat like me coming to the church and my family. I believe it was a God thing, not an Anthony thing. When you look at the numbers and you look at what's happening and the signs, a prudent man might say, run, don't stop, get out of here, keep going, you have a good life, things are good, it's not your problem. And that might all be true in the natural realm. It's all true when you look at it from worldly eyes. We look at the popularity of things. We look at the finances of things. 4013B, 401K, bank accounts, mountains that have to be overcome. We look at, is this a respectable place? Are they going forward? What about the town? Are you being going to be supported? Are your family going to be supported? Are your children going to be supported? This is not a perfect situation. And the list goes on and on of why maybe we shouldn't move or we shouldn't stay or we shouldn't go here. But then God comes in. And you get a burden. And you get a new perspective. God lays this burden on your heart. You don't ask for it. I wasn't asking for it. He lays it on your heart. The question is, will you respond when God touches you with this burden? I know I did. I know Nehemiah did. Obedience, obedience follows that burden. You get that burden. You follow it. Don't run in the opposite direction when God calls you. When He calls you, take godly, obedient action. When He calls you, whatever it is, and wherever He wants you to go, go. It's really that simple. Go. Obey. For there's no other way. That was a childhood thing that just came out of me. To trust in Jesus. For there's no other way. For like Carol now. Those words just come out, right? Praise God. Trust and obey. It's that simple. You hear, you get a burden, you obey. How difficult is this? But fear comes in, doubt comes in, attitudes come in. Not me, Lord. Not me. Bless me, Lord, but not me. Bless me, Lord, but not here. Bless me, Lord, but not there. Not today. We don't want that today. Leave me alone today. The simple answer when God calls, obey. Say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. His ways are always better than our ways. Right? And he could do the impossible. Yield to him. Trust him in this. Ask, Lord, what can I be doing? And all of a sudden he gives you something. And you're like, oh, not that. 
Nope, not that. I don't want that. Keep that away from me. Nehemiah obeys the call and he's broken over it. Brokenness can lead to spiritual awareness. Brokenness can lead to spiritual awareness. Nehemiah was broken before God. Verse 4. I heard these things. I heard these things. Now I know he's talking about his brothers and the men that came. But I think it's more than that. I heard in my spirit. I felt what God felt. I felt what Jesus felt. Jesus has a burden for the city. I felt what Jesus felt. And I sat down and I wept. I wept. I mourned. I fasted. I prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was a planner too and a great leader. So folks, prayer and planning goes together. Don't just pray. Take action. Beyond that, take action. Plan and prepare. Lord, I pray, and that is good, and we need more prayer. But then he talks to you, and he tells you to find counsel, and he tells you to pay attention to what I'm telling you. And I prayed. Nehemiah is praying and fasting and mourning and listening, and he's doing. He's a great planner. He's preparing. Church, prayer and planning go hand in hand. I heard, I felt, I pray, I do. It's simple. Planning goes with prayer. He's a great leader. And he would stop along on this journey, and he plans, and he thinks about the next steps. What, what's next? What can I do? He sat down. He sat down. Wow. We're running, running, running. Life is going in so many different directions. What do I do next? I sat down. Now I'm praying, but I sat down. I slowed things down. You know, we're running around so much, so fast, that we don't always hear from God. Slow it down. I sat down. I wept. I mourned. I fasted. I prayed. I was broken before God. Now, this wasn't just a short moment either of God, being in God and praying. This is a lifestyle with God. You see, he knew how to pray. He knew how to hear from God. But it's more than that. He was moved into action. He felt what God felt. And this should be our prayer, church. I believe that. That we should be brokenhearted over the things that breaks Jesus' heart. Child abuse, sex trafficking, crimes of passion, sexual immorality, perversions, and the list goes on and on. Drugs and crime and abandonment and cities left to thugs and criminals and broken homes and broken hearts and hearts that are no longer yearning for God or people who are hopeless and helpless and someone needs to rescue them. Maybe that person is you. Maybe that person is me. Maybe God's going to give you a new vision for your city, for the people of God, for the people that are lost. God loves urban America. God loves the people that's in the cities because the city is filled with people. And I say that over and over again because I believe God loves people and he loves where they come together and the place is filled. But God also loves us. So whether we're 
remote or even more remote or remote, remote, remote. He still loves you wherever you are. He loves you and he wants you to be faithful. And his love is in this place and his love is in this building and his love is in you, the people of God. Will you be obedient to the call? When he pierces you, will you be obedient to the call? Will you take action and do something significant for the kingdom of God? Brokenness eventually led to boldness before God. He wept before God. He mourned. He fasted. He prayed. Boldness will lead you to pray more. Boldness will lead you to pray more. Nehemiah prayed at least nine times we read of that in this book he understood the power of prayer he prayed often oh lord god of heaven verse five. Oh lord god of heaven the great and awesome god man great and awesome are you lord who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, for the people of Israel. I confess the sins with Israel. We, we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, and even if you... If your exiled people are the furthest horizon, at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. There are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant. This is Nehemiah crying out to the Lord and to the prayer of your servants who delight in the revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. I am Nehemiah. His brokenness led to his boldness before God. He understood that he needed to trust God and be transparent with God. He understood this church, that he can trust God And he needed to be transparent with God. He's our father. We are his children. I can go to daddy, father, and say, what's up, dad? And he says, what's up, my son? When we go to our children and our children come to us, big or small, whatever it is, we talk to them. Now, dads, sometimes we don't have time for them. But our Heavenly Father always has time for you. And we are not perfect. And when your child comes up to you, don't always say later, because later doesn't always come. Right? It doesn't always come, men and ladies. But men, too busy at work, too busy at the job, too busy in the yard, too busy watching sports. Too busy being busy. Whatever that is, I'm still busy. I don't have time. Heavenly Father has time. He loves you. And no matter what, you can go to Daddy God, Abba Father. 
Abba, Father, go to your father and say, Daddy, help me. Some people find this offensive when we call God Daddy. Not here. He's our heavenly father, and we are his children. So if you don't have a mom and a dad, go to Jesus. Hallelujah. Trust God and be transparent with God. So first we see confession before God. He confessed his sins before God. He confessed his sins and his father's household sins before God. And he confesses the sins of the Israelites before God. He's just confessing. We have committed sins against you. We acted wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands, your decrees, and your laws. There's always consequences for sin. Always. And we often uh, think that God is not watching. I don't get that. We do so many things that does not please Him. Like, He's not watching the way we act, the way we live, the way we complain, the way we raise our children. And then we wonder why we're so messed up and things go bad at times. We think He's not watching. But He's watching. He is watching. And are we being faithful? Are we being faithful? Following His commands and His laws and His decrees. So we seem to hide behind grace. We seem to hide behind the cross. Since all is forgiven, all now seems to be allowed. This is foolishness. To think that a holy God does not care about your sinful nature and your sinful ways. This is foolishness and this is foolish talk. The Bible clearly says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if he's a holy God, why do you think it's okay to live an unholy life? Because of grace, Anthony. Because of the cross. I don't really understand that when people say that. We wear our sin like a badge of honor. I can live the wherever I please, with whoever, whoever I please, whenever I please, because I'm living under grace. I'm no longer under bondage. No, you can't. No, you can't. Who said that's okay? Who said that's okay? The world? The world said? Now, technically, you do have the freedom. So in a way, they're right. You choose. You have freedom. You have choice. So therefore, from that point of view, I guess there's truth in that. Yes, you can. You can choose hell over heaven. You could choose wickedness over righteousness. So from that point of view... I suppose, live as you please, do what you want. That's your right. You have the freedom to do that, to live the way ever you want to. You have the freedom to reject Christ and live the way you please. So many people are living life that's not pleasing to him anyway. So what's the big deal, Anthony? What's the big deal, pastor? Many people are habitually sinning, sinning on purpose, Sinning without remorse. Grieving the Holy Spirit in the process. Sinning in a culture that accepts the ungodly and rejects the godly. So we want to become part of society, right? We want to be accepted by society. We want to be accepted by others. So we reject Jesus Christ for our foolish and selfish ambitions. This is wrong. This is wrong. Hallelujah. Again, this is your right This is your right to live as you want. But I need to tell you, 
This is wrong. And repentance needs to happen. Repentance. We need to repent and once again put off full trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And then I believe when we do that, after repentance, after confession, then I believe there's restoration and revival. I believe that was follow. But if you really think a holy God's going to stand silence for a long time when you continue sinning over and over again, know that judgment's coming. Judgment might already be here. I believe you're mistaken and it have deadly consequences. Because sin kills. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Sin kills. You can't do what you want whenever you want without consequences. And if you believe that, then you remain dead already in your sins. And I question your Christianity. Boldness before God leads to confession and repentance. Boldness will go to confession and repentance. Secondly, boldness before God led to remembrance. Remember God's promises and faithfulness. Remember the instructions you gave Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. See, we study the Bible so that we can hear from God. We study the Bible so we can learn His heart. We read and study the Bible so that we can remember. Remember His promises. Remember His faithfulness. God will not lie. God cannot lie. His promises are true. They're yea and they're amen. And He will always be faithful to you. You might not always understand His ways, but He loves you and He's, and he's a truth teller and His ways are always right. His ways are always righteous. They're always true. Now maybe your husband will fail you or a family member will leave you, or a child will disappoint you. But God will never leave you nor forsake you. His promises are always true, and they are reliable. They are reliable. So when you feel depressed and you're blue, and life hits you with that curveball, because it comes, and the unexpected thing happens, do not be totally derailed. Do not. Don't let it throw you off course. And surely don't make excuses why you have the right to fail. Believe his words and believe his promises are true. So when you pray, confess your sins. Repent and remember and recall his promises. And finally, boldness led him to make his requests known to God. Verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayers of your servant and to the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So the one thing that's very clear in this book of, of Nehemiah, besides the fact that he teaches us about leadership and oversight and management and planning and foresight and preparing, You know, and the list goes so much more. It helps us with everyday life. 
Nehemiah is a great book. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Nehemiah was a man of purpose. He prayed. And he knew how to bring his requests before a holy God. And so can we. We can have that boldness and that freedom to go to our Father in heaven. Broken hearted and wounded, dirty and unclean. God understands our heart. God understands what we need. So power up in prayer, church. Power up in prayer. Understand that you have access to God through prayer. And make your requests known to him. So Nehemiah is asking for a favor from the king. Now, what is Nehemiah's job? He's a cupbearer to the king. He was a wine tester, a food preparer. He actually had a very dangerous job. If the king died from food poisoning, for sure, or drink, Nehemiah would surely die. It was certain that he would die. He also had a very close relationship with the king, but he was still a servant and a slave. And now he makes a huge request to a very powerful king with a small K. A small K. It's a matter of life and death. Because if the king doesn't like his demeanor, if the king doesn't like his question, the king can put him to death. So before going to the king with a little K, he goes with the, to the king with a big K. Hallelujah. He goes to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He goes before God Almighty with requests and asks for success. How many of us fail because we don't consult God? How many of us fail because we forget to pray? And how many of us fail because we're not specific? So I prayed, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So then the question would say, who's the man? Thank you for that one smile. Who's the man? Who's the man that he's referring to? King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. This was a very powerful king. Very powerful king. And Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And he knows his life is in jeopardy, so he prays. And sometimes his prayers are short. And sometimes his prayers are long. But you might not catch this in the reading unless you dig in a little bit deeper. We see that he fasted for three to four months, basically. Nehemiah chapter 1 says in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year. And then we read in chapter 2, which we'll look at next week, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year, King Artaxerxes. And so there's about a three to four month gap here. And so when you read it quickly, you think he prayed and then went before the king. No, 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 no. He's been praying and fasting and preparing and thinking for months, for weeks, for months. Nehemiah prayed for a long time. You've got to get that. This was not just a short season in his life. This was a lifestyle of prayer. And then it was even more than that. He stepped it up even more than that. It was a lifestyle of prayer because he fasted and prayed for weeks. He was broken before God for weeks. He had a new burden and a new boldness before God. How many of you pray like that? And don't raise your hands. But how many are prayer warriors? How many are going to come to church and pray 
for three, four hours and then have the next team and the next wave come in and pray again for three and four hours, ready to do spiritual battles that change the direction and the course of our life. How many willing to put the required time into building the church and building your family to sacrifice for your church, to sacrifice for your family, to sacrifice for your future, to, to, to pray now for things that are not even seen, to pray now for things that you don't even know, to pray now for a future that didn't even happen yet. How many of us are broken before God? Now, church, I don't want to scold you. I don't want to bring you down. I don't want you to feel upset. I want to lift you up. I want to encourage you. So remember, we serve an awesome God. And life is too hard to go it alone. So have a team member. Have a church family. Plug in. Life's even harder when you try to do it without God. This book of Nehemiah is not just about a wall. It's about a city. It's about the people of God who live in that city, who live in that town, about the people who are lost and dying because they're lost without Jesus. We are to be the light in the city. You can say we're a city within a city or a town within a city. We are to be a light to the lost, bringing Jesus to a lost and dying world. We are to be broken and have a burden for what God has a burden for. Tony Rodriguez, my boy over there, always says deconstruct in order to construct. We need to break away the junk in our life in order to rebuild and make us stronger. We need to be broken before a holy God. It's about church. It's about Christ. It's about His people. It's about rebuilding what was lost and what was ruined. Yes, it's about rebuilding a wall. Yes, that is so true. But it's so much more than that. This book is about rebuilding a city, rebuilding a church, rebuilding the people of God. This message is about restoration and restoring people of God who are hurt, who are broken, who are helpless, who are lost, who are hopeless, who don't have faith. And we as a body gather together and we can lift each other up in Jesus' name. If you're hurting today, bring it to Jesus. If you're hurting today, if you have a heavy burden in your heart, bring it to Jesus. Say, Lord, send me. Lord, help me to understand what you want from me. He can transform you. He can change you. He can direct you. Would you stand with me, church? Stand with me as we bring this service to a close. My prayer for you, church, my prayer for us is that God will break our heart for what breaks his heart, that God will give us a burden for the things that that we need to do. Burdens are lifted where? At Calvary. They're lifted. But the burdens are lifted as we take action and we pray humbly before a holy God. Now, we can come boldly before God, but we need to come humbly and respectfully too. The Holy Spirit wants to move. The Holy Spirit wants to teach. The Holy Spirit wants to guide you. Open your heart to what He wants to do. Some burdens lead to a life of passion and a life of conviction. It instills a new calling in your life, a new focus in your life, a new direction in your life. If you're called, move 
and be directed by the Holy Spirit. If you're called, pray. If you're called, have a new zeal for the things of God. Have that deeper conviction that comes out of that burden, a new zeal for the things of God. We need to pray. We need to pray more. We need to pray here more. We need to pray at our homes more. May this be a church of prayer. It's time for our burdens to be lifted away. It's time for us to get this and and, and not do Sundays like it's just a regular Sunday. We need to get this in our heart. Hallelujah. I'm praying 20, 30, 45 minute radius that we're going to affect the city, that we're going to affect the town. But I'm just a man. I need to be moved and governed by the Holy Spirit. And you must be responsible. You know, I was listening to something recently, uh, uh, last night or a few days ago, I don't even remember. But they made this analogy. And I want you to hear this. You are King Artaxerxes, not me. I'm, I'm Nehemiah. But you are the King Artaxerxes. What are you talking about, Anthony? You have the resources. You have the supplies. You can send the letters. You can make things happen. Nehemiah rallied the people, but he went to the king and said, Help me. You are King Artaxerxes. You have the power to change through Jesus Christ. Every one of us have gifts and talents and and abilities. And so you are the one that can send this stuff forward. I can stand here and preach all day to an empty church, to a dead church, to a helpless and, and a hopeless church. But when I preach and the power comes down, and the burden goes on you, lives change. And Artaxerxes raise up and say, here's funding, here's tools, here's people power. Take my soldiers, go build, my, go build a house for yourself, go build a church for yourself. You see, the king Artaxerxes was a godly, ungodly man doing a godly work. Imagine what we can do when we become godly people who have a burden for the things of God.